0: Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Bleeper. My name is Nick Duncan. In this episode, we speak to Caitlin Burgoyne, who joined us from Canada. Caitlin specializes in helping frustrated founders identify their best customers and figures out what triggers them to buy. Caitlin is regarded as an expert in the field and has been featured in CBC, Huffington Post, Forbes and more. We spoke to Caitlin to try and understand why customer research is important and how founders can leverage some understanding of the set in growing their products. You're listening to the Bleeper Podcast. Bleeper, a customer communication tool specifically designed for small business. Find out more on bleeper.io. Hey Caitlin, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a bit about your background and career?
1: Sure, thank you so much for having me. Um, So I say that sometimes say that I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've started businesses spanning the um, tech, the marketing, and hospitality sectors. So I've dabbled in a little bit of everything. Um, Sold my first company in. 2015, um, got the bright idea that I, at that time I had a um, a marketing agency, a branding agency, and I thought, hey, I want to stop exchanging my time for money. So I think I'm going to start something more scalable. Maybe I should do a tech startup. <laughs> <And> <laughs> kind of uh, was naive enough to think that that would be easier, which as anybody who's coming from the startup world knows that it's not. Um, but yeah, that's really what started my path into the world of startups. Um, that was, I think, 2015, 2014. Um, and, you know, fast forward uh, four years now, the things were going well with the startup in the sense that we'd got a lot of initial traction. We'd attracted some great investors. Uh, we were growing fairly quickly. But there was lots of kind of like, barriers and bumpy roads along the way and ultimately decided to shut that down last year and kind of in the last year and a half I've been figuring out what what the future looks like for me and took all of the learnings and the amazing network that I built while working um, working on my startup and decided to focus in on an area that I was particularly passionate about which is um, customer development and using customer insight to drive growth and business decisions. Um, and so that's where I've been focused more, more lately. And so that's really the work that I do these days.
0: Okay, great. Um, yeah, I've had a look at your, your website and you've really done some interesting things. One of the things that, that really stuck out for me was how you said that you love how, uh, the the world's most successful businesses don't just get lucky and that they have a unique DNA. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for us?
1: Sure. So really that goes back to, you know, my own experience and trying to build a high-growth company and seeing that what it comes down to um, in those early years is really just being as customer-centric as you can. And when I talk about them having a unique DNA, what I mean is... You know, really taking the time to understand their customers, to understand why their customers are like buying their product and what they're trying to achieve in their lives, and what messages are going to resonate with them, and then also leveraging all of that customer insight to to basically test things. And so, a lot of companies that are some of the fastest growing ones are companies that have made a um, have made a habit of. Doing a lot of customer research and then using the what they learn to test different ideas and use rapid iteration to to move the needle. So it comes down to that um, that unique DNA is really just about being customer driven and customer centric and not being afraid to fail at things and keeping testing your way to success.
0: Yeah, so I suppose you know one of our biggest challenges at Bleeper is that you know we. We understand the customers that we have in the WordPress space. We have about sixty thousand active websites using our product in WordPress, um, and we're trying to break away from from WordPress now and, and go, you know, straight out SaaS. You know, try target every type of site out there. Uh, one of the biggest issues we have as a company is how to conduct customer interviews. So we know our customer in WordPress, but we have no idea who that customer is and what they want outside of WordPress. Can you maybe tell us how you go about structuring customer interviews?
1: Sure. I mean, the first thing I would do is I would commend you for recognizing that you don't know that customer outside of WordPress and realizing that the way to start that kind of foray into that world is by doing um, customer research. Because a lot of companies, they they won't admit if they're not super knowledgeable at a particular audience, and they don't always start with research. So that's great. Um, so customer interviews are really, really powerful tools, and I love customer interviews as the start of um, customer discovery because they can help you figure out um, what uh, what what really your ideal customers are trying to achieve and what they want in an ideal solution, and then you can leverage what you learn from those customer interviews and basically develop some assumptions and then test those through surveys where you get a bit more feedback and you're able to have more, um, more critical mass come coming in and answers. But a lot of people, you know, they just do a survey, they send it out to friends and family or people in their kind of peer network. They don't actually take the time to speak directly with customers or if they do, they don't leverage those interviews and do them right. So, uh, congrats to you guys for doing that. Um, So when it comes to doing customer interviews, I've spent an enormous amount of time um, both researching best practices, testing them in my own business and with my my clients in the last year, and then refining it and trying to find a process that really works well for smaller teams that don't have the resources to hire people who this is their job. They need to basically have founders or marketing people or UX people, product managers doing this off the side of their desk. And so trying to figure out strategies that will work for those smaller teams so that they can still leverage the value of customer interviews has kind of been uh, a passion of mine. So I would say that the um, what really has inspired my work as of late is a, um, uh, a customer research framework called Jobs to be Done. So... Jobs to be done, it was popularized by Clayton Christensen, who wrote um, a book, his most recent book, I think was 2016, it was called Competing Against Luck. And a lot of people know some of his earlier works, he wrote um, The Innovator's Dilemma, and then he wrote The Innovator's Solution. And in The Innovator's Solution, he kind of started talking about and kind of hinting about this, this framework called Jobs to be Done. And then in his most recent book, Competing Against Luck, he really, it's that, that's what the whole book is about, is, is Jobs to be Done. But the concept behind jobs to be done is really interesting. So uh, Clayton Christensen, he's a Harvard business professor. He has um, a great team behind him. And what they did was they studied 20,000 different product launches. And these were products being launched by big enterprise companies and by small scrappy startups. And they wanted to see what the success rate was among those companies. And if they could kind of use what they learn to identify what does how does success happen? Is there any correlating factors here? And what they saw was that of those 20,000 product launches, um, about 97% of, or no, sorry, 93% of them failed in that they either flat out failed or they just really didn't ever live up to the expectation of the company that built this product in the first place. They had huge aspirations and the product just kind of fizzled. Um, And so then they looked at that 7% of products that did really well. And they're trying to figure out like, is what what can we tell about these companies? What brings them together? What kind of makes them unique? And is it just luck? Are people just getting lucky when it comes to coming up with the right solutions? And what they ended up seeing was that the correlating factor was that all of those companies had a product that helped somebody get a job done better. So this is kind of the concept of jobs to be done. And what they say is that we don't buy products and services. We hire them to do jobs for us. And when you understand what jobs your customers are hiring your product to do, you can make sure that they keep hiring you to do it and that you do that job better than any of your competitors. So um, a great kind of visual example of this is that nobody wants a quarter-inch drill. They want a quarter-inch hole. you buy the drill to get the hole and then jobs to be done brings it kind of a step further and says, okay, you don't even want the hole. You want to hang a picture or a shelf or whatever that might be. And when you realize and you think about um, your customer's problems from the perspective of what they're trying to get done, it can help you to build better stuff and it can help you to market that much more effectively and have much more effective messaging. So, That big preamble is is basically the way that I think about customer interviews. And so I use um, kind of a jobs to be done style interview where the way that I start the interview, rather than necessarily having um, a set of questions that I'm planning on asking that customer every single question on that list and I'm not gonna deviate from them. What I do is I basically wanna get them to tell me the story that led to them buying a product whether that's my product, if I have a product at market, um, or if it's a competitor's product that does something similar, a similar solution that gets that job done. And what I wanna learn is I wanna learn what made them switch to that product. This style of interview is what's known as a switch interview. Um, and basically what I ask them is I started off and I say, you know, imagine that we're creating a documentary or like a movie of this purchase. You recently bought X. I wanna think back to the very first time you started thinking about maybe needing something like X product. And I'm going to ask you a lot of really specific questions, kind of dig into the detail. But what I'm trying to do is create like a mental timeline of that buying journey. And so you kind of explain that to the, to the person you're interviewing. And at first they'll be like, okay, that's interesting because they're not used to um, usually customer research being done that way. You know, we all get those calls from companies on the phone where they're doing a survey and you're going to be asked the same five questions. This is really about pulling out as much detail from your customers as you can. But the reason this type of method works is because it's in understanding the kind of emotions that are at play and the forces that are at play that lead to your customer switching from their old solution to their current one that helps you to figure out what they're looking for. Because ultimately, I've, I'm sure we've all had the experience where we've tried a product we had expectations of what we wanted that product to do or how we wanted it to work for us. We give it a shot, but it doesn't necessarily do it. And it doesn't get the job done that we were trying to get done. And even if we don't get rid of that product right away, like maybe we signed up for a year long um, subscription, or maybe it's something that we bought that physically now exists in our host. If it doesn't actually get the job done that we originally bought it to do, then in our mind, we're still looking for the next solution. And so, Especially in software, with so many so much software being subscription-based, you really want to understand what it is your customers are trying to get done so you can help them to do that better than any of your competitors so they keep hiring your product over and over as in they keep paying for the subscription. So that's the method that I use. and it's, If you um, look it up on the internet, you can find um, interview scripts um, that kind of teach you how to do this style of interview, but it's called a switch interview. Okay, so in the
0: customer discovery process, um, this this methodology that you take up, uh, can you share the top three questions that you normally ask in that interview?
1: Sure. So um, again, I'm trying to kind of like pull the story out of them that led to them making their switch. But depending on who it is you're getting the chance to talk to, sometimes you don't have time to do like a formal interview. Sometimes you run into somebody in a coffee shop, and they're talking about using X product, and you want to take that opportunity to do a little bit of research. Um, Or sometimes you can only get 10 minutes of somebody's time. And so you have to do a shorter interview. So the questions that I really like to make sure I always ask, because I get some really great insights from them, is the first question is, so before you bought this product, let's say before you bought our product, what other solutions or tools were you using to get that job done? So you know, in your case, it's um, a chat app, right? So like you could ask your customers before you started using Bleeper, what other tools or solutions were you using to communicate with your customer and better understand them? And what you'll learn is that oftentimes there is things that people are thinking of as the in their mind as potential solutions to getting their job done that you might not see as direct competitors to what you do. So they might say, oh, well, I set up, you know, automated email sequences, um, or I would hop on the call a call with people when they had questions. And so, in the jobs to be done world, even though those might not be direct competitors and that they do the same thing in the exact same way that you do it, they're definitely competitors because there's the reasons why somebody might not use your solution because they're already getting the job done using this other method. So that's an important question to ask: is figure out what else are they using to get the job done, and. Then what you want to figure out is what is not working about that thing. So the next question that I would typically ask, if I don't have a lot of time and I'm only going to ask three questions, um, the next one I'd ask is, so when was the first time that you actually considered needing a better solution? What was going on in your life or business that made you start looking for something else? And what's great about that question is you're going to expose what's known as a triggering event. So basically something triggered in their life that made them start seeking another solution. They might not have bought right away, it might have taken them six months to actually start buying. But if you know the painful events that are happening in somebody's life that are pushing them to start seeking a better solution, that's great insight when it comes to figuring out your marketing. And then the last question that I'd always ask, if I, can, if I just have time for three, would be, now that you're using our product, how can we improve it? You know, be honest, because it's in understanding what you're not helping that customer do that can help you to figure out what to do next with your product. And in software, I mean, so many companies have infinite directions they could go. They're always trying to figure out what just what's the product roadmap look like? What should we actually be building versus what we shouldn't be building? And what's neat about Jobs to be Done is it kind of gives you a framework and a frame of reference for thinking about your um, the maturity of your product, because you can think, okay, if, if our job that we get done is we help people to um, we help salespeople to uh, to identify their hottest leads, then if that's what they need from you, that's one of their jobs to get done is to identify their hottest leads. You can think creatively as a company about different ways to do that. Because one of my favorite sayings comes from Steve Jobs. And he says, it's not your customer's job to know what they want. And that's so true. Like, it's not their job. A lot of customers know that they're not happy with something. They know that something's not working for them. And some of them will volunteer potential solutions. But as the innovator, as the person who's the visionary for your product, it's really on you to say, okay, when they say they want X feature, what are they really trying to get done? why do they think that's the solution because oftentimes the customer will make recommendations that aren't great but what's really interesting and what you should be listening for and paying attention to is why they're asking for those things because that means that there's a part of what you do you're not able to get the job done for them the way that they're that they need it and that's an opportunity for innovation for your team does that make sense
0: it makes a lot of sense and the the customers that you're interviewing outside of the coffee shop so let's say you've you've actually scheduled an interview with a, a customer how far would you go in getting background information on that current candidate before you actually interview them
1: well the most important thing in if you're going if you're planning to use the switch interview method um, is that that person is using something else to get that job done so it, whether it's either they're your current customer so they're using your product which you want to know that um or they, you know, that they're using a different type of solution. So you don't want to talk to people who don't even, who aren't trying to do the job, if that makes sense. Like, because those people aren't necessarily going to give you great insights. Um, And if you're, if you're kind of a B2B solution, and there might be multiple levels of decision making before somebody approves buying your thing, you want to talk to the decision makers, Um, not necessarily, the end users because it's the decision makers in a switch interview that are really going to be the ones who can tell you about what led to that switch. You want to talk to the end users as well as part of your user research but for this style of interview it's really important to talk to the decision makers who actually chose to start using that solution. And sometimes a solution isn't you know another piece of software or another specific product but it's kind of a um, duct tape and elastic band solution they put together themselves those are those are great to learn about too because again like one of the things i like to say is that the biggest competitor for a lot of companies is a spreadsheet like there's so much software that um people can can get the same thing done using a spreadsheet it might not be nearly as good but it's probably one of your biggest competitors and a lot of people don't think about that when they think about their competitors so so yeah you want to you want to know that they're using something similar to get the job done and when it comes to understanding their background information as a company from a strategy perspective, um, a great opportunity is to kind of identify and narrow down on a niche type of target customer, kind of that that early stage customer that you're going to really put your energy into creating a great experience for. And so when it comes to the background information, choosing people that fall into that demographic, because it can be tricky, um, if you end up talking to 10 people and they're all from totally different industries, totally different styles of businesses or, or lifestyles, if you're B2C, you you can kind of get feel like you're aimlessly wandering because you're going to hear a lot of different stuff. Whereas if you talk to kind of one target segment and you do even just five interviews with people who fall into that target segment, you'll start to spot patterns that really help you figure out if they're the right ones to focus on or not. And if they are great, keep talking to them. Um, get as much information from them as you can. And if you're not feeling a connection, they don't really have a problem that your product solves. They're not dissatisfied with their current solutions. Then try talking to a different customer segment and start the process all over again.
0: Okay. And I suppose you know one of the the biggest difficulties in being a founder is that you kind of need to dabble in. A lot of things and and customer discovery is is quite frankly one of those things that you know you have to you have to get involved in but at what point do you think a founder should take a step back from doing this role himself or herself and bring in a professional such as yourself
1: well that's a great question um i typically when it comes to doing customer research for an organization um i typically only work with larger companies like companies that may have you know 250 employees or more um the reason why is because by that stage they have um they have a product that's working they've you know they've got a solution if they're trying to release something new i can help them with that but they have the um they're used to bringing in professionals and Uh, leveraging those people's expertise and leveraging those to make decisions. Um, And sometimes they're not as, um, what's the right word? They're not as married to their original idea or original strategy as a small team might be. When, When it's a small team, especially if you're founding something new and you're just starting out and you're trying to figure out if you should build this thing or not, if you should start this business or not, I don't recommend um, outsourcing customer discovery. I think that it's like outsourcing, dating your potential future partner. <laughs> like it might save you some time to hire somebody else to date your boyfriend or girlfriend, but you're not actually going to glean any of the benefits. Um, you won't be making that relationship with your customers stronger. You won't be understanding them better. And so I really don't think it's something that should be outsourced, um, until, Uh, companies are at a much larger size. And then I'm still very thoughtful about getting the clients involved in the analysis process. So rather than me going off and doing the customer research, doing all the analysis and then dropping a report on their desk, I'll go off and do the customer research, which takes a lot of time. I'll kind of chunk that information up into some um, patterns that I start spotting and some high-level high categories. But then I'll bring the team together that's going to be responsible for accepting the strategy for getting on board. And I'll play audio for my interviews for them of kind of like key things that I heard. And together, we'll start analyzing some of that feedback and coming up with, okay, what does that mean? Because I can – there's things that the internal team is going to hear or pick up on that I, as an outsider, won't. And there's potentially opportunities that will be missed because I didn't know something was important. You know, somebody's talking about a big industry change that might be coming, but they just kind of casually mention it. And it's, I hear it a few times and I don't realize that that's an important contextual piece of information. I may not flag that to the team. So for me, it's important to really get the team involved. Um, But I would say what is important is if you do want to bring in somebody from the outside to help with some of this, then, then be, be part of the process. Like It's kind of like hiring a wedding planner, right? Like You don't want to leave all the decisions up to them. It won't really feel like your day. Um, but be part of the process. Let them deal with the logistics. Let them deal with finding the right people. Let them lead some of the interviews so your team can learn how to do it. But ultimately, this is one of those skills that every team will eventually need to have in house anyway. It's like, you know, as your team grows, you need more specialized skill sets in your team. So having your early team members be part of this this process is really smart.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And um just to sidetrack you,
1: yeah, a little bit, I
0: I read an article you wrote on trust hacking. Can you explain to our listeners what this is and why it should be important to them?
1: Sure. So um Basically, I'm a big believer that the future, that growth is going to be, it is and it will continue to become exponentially harder. And the reason is because the barrier to entry to start something new has almost gone to zero. You know, people can launch a new service business like in an hour, like people can create a new, uh, a new like piece of software in like a week and a half. Like there, it's not hard to build the stuff anymore. What's hard is to get attention, and we as consumers and potential buyers are really, really overwhelmed by people fighting for our attention. And so, the reason that I created kind of the the trust hacking framework, it's not about trust hacking. Some people hear that, and I think what I mean is to take advantage of people's trust or to try to like to 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 miss to hack their trust and to like they they don't realize that the motivations. Um, But the idea behind trust hacking is growth hacking is about you. Growth hacking is about the company achieving their goals, which is growing. But the only way that a company can grow sustainably, especially in our current business climate, is by focusing on creating customer value, by creating trust, by creating virality through people just talking about that product. Because it's never been more important for businesses to get word of mouth, whether that word of mouth is, you know, people directly talking to their friends in the kitchen or posting about products on product reviews on Amazon or, um, or, uh, you know, product hunt, whatever it might be. And so the idea behind Trust Hacking is that I wanted to encourage high growth teams to reframe the way they think about their objective and instead of that objective being growth that objective being increased trust because when you focus on increased trust you know making your messaging better making it like making people feel like you get them and you're building the right solution for them When, when trust becomes the metric that matters you will grow anyway And it's actually the first step to growth. Like you can always find different hacks. You can change button colors. You can come up with different um, little things here and there to get a little extra surge of traffic or a surge of of people using your product in a different way. But ultimately, what, what makes them stay and what creates sustainability is trust. And that trust leads to them talking about your product to using it to loving you as a brand. And that leads to sustainable growth. So that's why where the concept of trust hacking comes from. And so if your listeners are familiar with, um, with, With the growth hacking uh, framework, the idea being, you know, you come up with an assumption, you test it, you measure the results, and you are always working in this kind of like high-tempo testing or iterative model. Trust hacking works very much the same way, but what's different about trust hacking is that when you're not seeing, when the things you're doing aren't working... I encourage people to go back and do more customer discovery because there's something wrong about your assumptions. There's something wrong with the customers you're targeting or the approach you're taking. And just completely, just blindly testing more stuff without going back and doing more customer discovery may not help you figure out what's wrong fast enough
0: okay Caitlin you've given us a lot of insight in the customer discovery process and I just wanted to thank you for that um, but now a little bit about you what, what does the future of of Caitlin look like where do you see yourself in three years
1: uh, I really like that question so I am um, my business is taking a bit of a shift um I'm not I, you know I've, I'm probably not going to be working directly with um, clients in a consulting capacity going forward I've got a few. Kind of like clients that I'm that I'm going to say yes to, but for the most part, I'm really moving to a um, to a workshop model, and I'm creating an in-person workshop that um, is done over two and a half days. Um, it's about figuring out who your best customers are and creating a growth plan to to get more of those customers. And it's really about giving teams the opportunity to do some of that deep strategic work that so often doesn't happen because you're just you know, bogged down with the day-to-day of running the business. And so um, this new workshop is called Customer Camp. Um, I'm based here in Atlantic Canada and I'll be rolling out across Atlantic Canada, but I'm also chatting with some folks about bringing it to Las Vegas and California and um, potentially the Middle East. So that's going to be my main thing. And so going forward, I really want to create this awesome workshop that people come in, they get off-site, they get out of their office, and they work through the hard stuff um, that they don't often invest the time in. And they'll have all of these great takeaways at the end. So they'll have a, um, a customer guidelines book that they can share with any new team members who've come on board. And they'll have a growth plan that's actually backed up by customer research that they've done. So that's kind of my new thing. Um, and then if people want to work with me and they're not in one of the locations where, where I'll be uh, doing this in-person workshop, I also do have an online um, course that focuses on helping people to get better at customer discovery. And so that's developed for more of a early stage audience. If you're in the process of figuring out um, how to get product market fit, your pre-product, that's that would be a great workshop for you. So that one's, um, there's a link to that on my website at caitlinbergoyne.com and people can check that out. And you can actually go on and check out the first few videos and learn a little bit more about jobs to be done and um, about what it's like to build a new company today and what some of the challenges are uh, before you actually buy the course to get a sampling of uh, what that content's like.
0: Well, that's great, Caitlin. It, uh, it seems like you actually reduced the learning curve for founders by quite a bit with your course. So uh, We'll definitely look into it ourselves.
1: I appreciate you saying that. That's really kind of the thing for me. I believe that content has no value, <laughs> like um, I know that sounds funny coming from somebody with a marketing background, but really what content is, the purpose of content, in my opinion, nobody wants to learn something if it could be done for them or if they could avoid having to learn it and still get the outcomes that they want. And the thing about customer discovery is as it sits right now, the best way to do it is still to talk to people. And, you know, a lot of founders I know spend an enormous amount of painful time trying to figure out how to do that. So I took everything that I learned over the last year and a half, studied all the different methodologies and just tried to distill that and figure out how can I get, uh, How can I help founders and small teams to learn this as quickly as possible and to get the results from the research as quickly as possible so they can make smarter decisions and feel confident they're doing the right stuff? And so the workshop's not that long, and that's by design. You get all the different tools um, that you would actually need. It's not just learning what to do. You'll actually get the stuff you need to do it. Um, And that's really my focus is just helping people to avoid having to read all the books and do all the research themselves to figure out how to start. I want them to just be able to go, okay, this is exactly the step-by-step way I'm going to do it. Awesome. Moving forward.
0: Well, that's great, Caitlin. Thank you so much again for your time. You've been, you've been amazing. You've really given a lot of insight. Um, we really do appreciate you coming on to our first ever uh, show. So thank you for that. And we would like to wish you all the best for all your future endeavors.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. And I look forward to sharing Bleeper with my audience and telling them more about you guys.
0: You've been listening to the Bleeper podcast. Subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast software. For more information, please visit bleeper.io.